the Ten Commandments. We've been in now for a couple of weeks. We've got a few weeks left. And as we, uh, as we said that first Sunday, you know, the, the, the point of the Ten Commandments is not to, to give us rules that we have to follow in order for God to love us. Now, when we go back and we read the introduction to the Ten Commandments, what we see is that they are given to God's people after God has already saved them out of Egypt so that they may honor Him, so that they may grow in holiness and sanctification, so that they may come to become more like God, pursuing His ways and His will. And so we are continuing. We're in the second of the Ten Commandments. Today, last week, we looked at the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. And we look at the second commandment today. So we're in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be starting with verse 4, reading through verse 6. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children through the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we turn to your word this morning and as we begin to uncover the truth that there is a correct way to worship you, I just pray that that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. That the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe seated. So, like I said last week, obviously, if we are in the, if we're looking at the second of the Ten Commandments, last week we looked at the first of the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is all about worshiping the right God. Right? No other gods before me. It's all about worshiping the right God. The second commandment is about worshiping the right God the right way. Worshiping the right God the right way. You know, it's interesting. If you sit down with folks from other traditions, they may not recognize this being the second of the Ten Commandments. I don't know whether or not you know that. But Roman Catholics and Lutherans and I believe Eastern Orthodox don't have this as the second commandment. They have this as part of the first commandment. And then they break up one of the later commandments into two. They divide them differently. They see, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make an idol. They see it all as one commandment. But the interesting thing is, is that if we turn to Scripture, we can see that God is very concerned about these being two separate things. And that God recognize, recognizes them as two separate things. 
If you turn over, if you have your Bible open and you turn over very briefly to 2 Kings chapter 10, you see 2 Kings chapter 9 and 2 Kings chapter 10 is the story of Jehu. Um, and, uh, and how Jehu becomes, becomes king. And at the end of chapter 9, we see that Jehu uh, brings justice on, on uh, Jezebel, the evil, wicked queen. And then as we turn into chapter 10, we see, starting in verse 18, we see how Jehu uh, kills the Baal worshippers and he tears down the idols to Baal or Baal. No one, I think, is really quite sure how to pronounce it. So we get eventually to verse 28, 2 Kings 10. And we read this. Jehu eliminated Baal worship from Israel, but he did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit, worshiping the gold calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And so what we see here, right, we see he's, he's done what he was supposed to do. He's, he's kicked the foreign god out. We've, we've torn down the worshiping of Baal, but he, he doesn't do this other thing. He doesn't get rid of these golden calves. Well, then the question is, well, if he's gotten rid of Baal, why doesn't he get rid of the golden calves? Because the golden calves weren't seen as objects of a foreign god. They were seen as objects of worship for Israel's God, for Yahweh. Remember, what does Aaron do with the people while Moses is up the mountain? They make a golden calf, right? I love Aaron's version of that story when Moses comes down. Well, we just threw all of our gold into the fire and out popped a golden calf. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, that's what happened. But see, the, the people, it's not like the people were, were creating an image to worship some god other than the god of Israel. They were creating this golden calf to use it as an object to worship God. And so these golden calves that Jehu does not tear down, that are at Bethel and at Dan, that's what they're there for. They're there to, to be objects of worship for Yahweh. But he doesn't tear them down. It's still sin. He's still a violation of the second commandment. And so what we see, right, is we see that Jehu gets the first commandment right, no other gods, but he gets the second commandment, no graven images, he gets it wrong. The people were worshiping the right God, but they were worshiping him the wrong way. We can worship God falsely. We can have the right object of worship and yet do it in a way that is not only displeasing but also sinful and hateful to that object of worship. This second commandment is one of the longest of the ten. You know, last week was real short. We only had a couple of words, right? This week is a little longer. It's one of the longest of the commandments, and we can sort of break it up into four parts. We can break it up into part the first, which is the rule. 
The second part is the reason. The third part is the warning. And the fourth part is the promise. For those of you who are very concerned about sometimes I say we've got four parts and then I forget to number all of the parts, I actually have them all numbered in my notes this morning to remind myself to tell you which part we're moving to. You're welcome. So the first part, the rule. The rule is simple, right? The rule is right there at the beginning. Do not make an idol for yourself. That's the rule. Do not make an idol for yourself. In some translations, right, you have, a, you have a, a, a graven image. Some translations will say a carved image. The idea here is, is that an idol is, is an object that's made by a tool. It's something that's, that's carved out. And we're going to see him talking about carving here in, in a moment. But the idol is, is, is something that is part of creation that a creature takes and he, he or she manipulates it to turn it into an object to worship. You, you had all sorts of idols in the ancient world. You had idols that were carved out of stone. You had idols that were carved out of wood. You had um, objects of worship that maybe that we wouldn't even, when we see them, we wouldn't even necessarily think of them as, as, as idols, but, but they were still objects of worship. If you ever have an opportunity to, to go to you know, a, a, an art museum or a natural history museum, you, you'll probably go somewhere and they'll have a lot of these graven images, these idols, these statues that were in temples that were there to worship. But an idol, like I said, an idol is something that's made by a tool. But let's see what the rule is. The rule isn't don't use tools, right? That's not the rule. The rule isn't even don't make art. The rule is don't use tools to make art that become objects of worship. You see this in the second part of the rule. Don't bow down. Don't make an idol for yourself. Don't bow down in worship to them. You know, there's that rule. Then he, he sort of clarifies the rule. Don't make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Now, if we think about the, the order of creation... What's in creation? You got the skies, right? And you got the earth, and you got the water. Saying, don't make an image from anything in all of creation. You got to remember where are they coming from? They're at Sinai. Moses has gone up the mountain. They've just been. Freed from slavery where? In Egypt. And I loved, when we lived in Virginia, I loved going to the Virginia Museum of Art in Richmond. It was great. It was, it was, it was wonderful. There was some really great stuff there. But they actually had a fairly significant ancient Egypt collection. 
And the stuff's cool. Right? I mean, some of you, some of you are of an age that you remember when King Tutankhamun's mask toured and then that, that, that exhibit toured around the United States. Anybody ever get a chance to see, see that when it toured? There's something striking, right, about these, about these images. And I would love to go and see it. But if you go and you look at these depictions, whether it's in a fresco that's on a wall or whether it's in the hieroglyphics or whether it's in the statues, if you look at the images of these Egyptian gods and goddesses, they're often what? In the shape of an animal. Or often in the shape of a human with an animal head, right? So Anubis, the body of a man, the head of a jackal. Horus, the body of a man, the head of a, I think an eagle. It's a bird of prey of some kind. He's got a, got a beak. It's a bird. So God's saying, look, where have you been? Who have you been worshiping? You've been in Egypt. You've, you've been polluted by their ideas, and, and they, they, take, they take the things that I have made, and they, make, they take the things that I have made, and they make images of other things that I have made in creation, and they worship them. So don't make an image for yourself, whether it's something from the sky, or the earth, or the sea. Nothing in my creation is to be an object for you to worship. That's the rule. That's the rule. So the second part is the reason. What is the reason? So don't make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or the waters underneath. Don't bow and worship them. Do not serve them, right? That's the rule for... That's always a good word when you're looking, when you're reading Scripture, and you're like, well, why am I supposed to do something? For, because, right? These are, these are context clues when you're reading. For, I am the Lord. And if you're looking in your Bible, you'll see that Lord there is what? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name of God that's been put into Adonai. For I, am, for I am Yahweh, your God. I'm a jealous God. This is the reason. Don't have any idols. Why? Because I'm jealous. Now, jealousy is one of those things. It sort of gets a bad rap these days, right? Like jealousy is, jealousy is, not, a, jealousy is not a good thing. Jealousy is also probably not quite the perfect word to translate here, particularly in our, in our context and in the way that we use language now. A, a better word might be zeal. For I, the Lord your God, am a zealous God. For I, the Lord your God, have a burning passion for you. You know, holy jealousy is not envy. I think that's, that's what we often think of when we think of jealousy, right? We think of, we think of envy. Man, I'm really jealous 
I'm really jealous of Mac's new car. That's a, that's a great car, man. I'm, I'm, we're we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But jealousy is not, is not envy. It's not the desire to get something that doesn't belong to you. No, holy jealousy is, is, is grounded in God's rightful love for us. It's not unlike, what's the metaphor that God uses all the time to describe the relationship between Him and His church? It's marriage, right? You come home from work, and you find your spouse in the arms of another, you are going to be jealous, right? Now in that moment, is that a negative emotion, or is that an appropriate emotion? That's an appropriate emotion. The inappropriate emotion is going to the bedside table and shooting them. Let's not do that. But, but what does God feel when his, when his bride is in the arms of another? I think we, we forget that we're, we're God's bride. God's commitment to His people is what this is about. God's exclusive love, His passionate love, His intense love for His people. This is not God is jealous because He's petty and insecure. This is a result of God's intense devotion to the object of His love, us. A mother whose child has been in an automobile accident and the, and the car is pinned the child to the road. We've heard stories about this, Right? Mothers who somewhere out of seemingly nowhere are able to lift the car off of their child to rescue their child. The the, the acts of selfless love that fathers will do to lay down their life for their family in the face of danger. Those aren't negative things, are they? In fact, we see them as honorable things. This is the kind of love that God has for us. This intense, burning zeal that He has for us, for His bride. That's why we don't worship a graven image. Because here's the thing. You come home from work. Do you want your spouse to kiss you or kiss the picture of you that's over the fireplace? Do you want your spouse to have a relationship with a thought of you, with a, with a, a, a facsimile of you, or do you want your spouse to have a relationship with you? That's the reason 
Now we get to the warning. So we've had the rule, no idols, no graven images. The reason, because God loves us. And now the warning. We see it in the second part of verse 5. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Iniquity is one of these hard words. We read it a lot in Scripture, and I think maybe we think we know what it means, but, but we maybe, maybe we don't. But iniquity is meaning that something's twisted. Something's, something's maybe, maybe we could say cattywampus. Such a good word, right? Cattywampus. See, false worship is a twisting, a, a perversion, a turning of worship against God. You know, it, it could seem very religious to worship idols. You, you could be very devout and very pious in your worship of an idol. This is what Paul says to the Athenians, right? He says, I see that you are religious people because you have an idol to everything. You're pious. You're religious. You just don't know God. Being religious and being pious is not definitionally mean that you know God and that you're worshiping Him. You know, it could, it could seem wonderful, but God forbids it. And if God forbids it, if we, if we do it, if we find ourselves falling into this sort of false idolatry of God, it's really a way of showing our, our hatred for Him. Let me, let me restate that just so we can hear it. Because I think that when I came to this and, and I realized this and I saw this, it kind of threw me back. So I want, to, I want to say it again. False worship is not a way of honoring God. False worship is a way of showing God hatred. This is important. It's important that we get this right. So in the face of this, in the face of the fact that it's a way of showing him hatred, is it a surprise that God takes it seriously? That God says that he'll punish the children for the sins of the father? The father doesn't just pass down a bad example. The father's passing down guilt. See, this only makes sense when we understand that God works with His people through covenant. And that God, through covenant, holds families responsible for their conduct as families. But, but let's finish the sentence in case you're sitting there going, well, my daddy didn't honor God and I'm a little concerned now. Let's finish the sentence. Third and fourth generations who? Of those who hate me. There's a way to overwrite 
the curse. There's a way to overwrite the promise, and that leads us to four, to the promise. The promise is this, showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. A thousand generations. A blessing that is infinitely more powerful than the curse. A blessing that can wash away the curse. So we have to ask the question, what is our family doing? You know, as a parent, I am starting to do things like plan for the future in ways that I never thought I would be doing before. But as I plan for the future, I should be more concerned with this, with the second commandment, with worshiping God correctly, than with making sure I've got enough money in my stock portfolio. Parents should be more concerned about the Second Amendment than they should be about the beach house. Parents should be more concerned about worshiping God correctly than they should be for their travel plans. Parents should be more concerned about, about getting their children and showing their children what right worship is than they are with travel ball. They should be more concerned with this than, than whatever it is that's stopping them from worshiping the true God in the right way. When a man refuses to love God passionately, when a man refuses to worship God properly, the consequences of his sin will be felt for generations. The guilt of a man who treasures idols in his heart will corrupt his entire family, and in the end, they will all be punished. But, a man who loves God supremely a man who bows before him in genuine worship will see the blessing of God on his family forever. So, what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy am I going to leave? What kind of worship am I going to give to my God? But there are no idols here, right? I mean, no idols. You don't have any, any statues, no icons, no crucifixes. But the second commandment is just as much spiritual as it is worldly. It, it applies to the heart. John Calvin told us that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. If we don't worship God in spirit and in truth... We end up reshaping him and remaking him in a way that we think that we have him safely under control. Think about that. We reshape God so that we think we have God under control. See, we make an idol when we worship an image rather than listening to the word. This is what God has given us to know him to see him and to understand him. The word of God. Not an image. Not a painting. Not a picture. Not a statue. His word. We make an idol when we turn God into something we can manipulate. This is, this is just a form of paganism. 
If I do this thing, I'll get to control God. And so much of what passes for contemporary spirituality in the church and outside of the church is doing this. If I do this, God will do that. If I go get the right person to pray for me, God will heal me. If I sow money into this ministry, God will bless me. If I say the, the right prayer in the right way, God will respond and bless me. You anybody remember back in the late 90s, a little book that came out, The Prayer of Jabez? Man, somebody made a whole lot of money off of that little book. Taking that piece of scripture, pulling it out of context, and selling people, selling the church, paganism. If you pray this prayer that Jabez prayed, God will bless you. That's not the way it works, folks. That's an attempt to manipulate God into doing what you want. See, people, a lot of people haven't changed their affections, their loves. They, they still want the same thing they always wanted. They just want God to give it to them instead of somebody else. It's idolatry and it's paganism. We make an idol when we choose to worship God for some of his attributes but not for others. There are those, we might call them liberals, who love God, but don't want God to have, who love God's love, but don't want God's judgment. There are some, we might call them fundamentalists, who want God's judgment, but don't want God's love. Certainly for others. There are those who want to deny the fatherhood of God. There are those who want to deny the foreknowledge of God. When we, when we do these things, when we say, I like to think of God as, we run the risk of doing this. Picking and choosing what it is about God that we're going to worship. We, we make God the way we want him and not the way that he is. We emphasize some of the things we like and ignore the rest. We think that God is more concerned with a private morality than with public justice. Guess what? He's concerned about both. Read the prophets. We, we, we get motivated by duty instead of a deep longing and gratitude for God's grace. Let me ask you a question. Why are you here this morning? Are you here this morning because you want to be here? Are you here this morning because you want to spend time with God? Are you here this morning because you want to worship Him and lift up His name and glorify Him? Or are you here because you think you're supposed to be here? Because, brothers and sisters, if it's the latter, it's an idol. And you're not worshiping God in the right way. So let's not remake God in our image. Rather, let's be remade into God's image. By, by being in a personal, saving relationship with Jesus. Because see, here's the thing, we don't need an image for God. Scripture tells us that we carry God's image. 
God cannot be represented by a picture or a sculpture. He intended us to appear as His likeness. Now, our ability to do this, to be this reflection, has been badly damaged by the fall. Badly damaged by sin. It's, it's an image, but it's marred, and it's vandalized, and it's, it's covered in graffiti. But the Son was sent in the world to repair God's image in us. Christ was sent into the world to save us from the power of sin so that we can pursue God and pursue His holiness. Christ came and died and rose again for us so that we can have the power to kill the sin in our lives. We don't need a representation. We don't need an image, a statue, a a picture of God because God Himself came to earth and dwelt among us. We don't need to focus on a creation of, of human hands to see God. No, we need to focus on the nail-scarred hands of the God-man, Jesus. When we come to Christ, when we worship the right way, then God lives in us and by the Holy Spirit works to repair His image in us so that we can live for His glory. We don't need an image. We just need to turn our eyes on Jesus. To look full in His wonderful face. I really wish I had thought of before right this second of this and we would sing that right now, but we, we're not going to. Our hymn of invitation is going to be 405, Have Faith in God. So we're going to have 